It is, it is really hard to imagine, honestly, a world where somehow God is not the center and control of all the universe, isn't it? Uh, the reason by which we gather on a Sunday-by-Sunday Sunday basis all around the world in so many different churches and so many different languages is a predominant display of the very goodness and kindness of the living God who is not somehow aloof from all creation, uh, but, is, but is actively involved. That's a psalm that I want to go to this morning, if you would, take your Bible with me. Uh, psalm 46. I'm always astounded at the psalmist's ability to be able to interact and, and cause the believer to reflect on the very things uh, that are challenging it at various components. I love Christmas time. I don't know about you guys, but uh, uh, I love it when Christmas season starts. I love Thanksgiving, but Thanksgiving is like a it's like an on ramp to Christmas for me. It's like it's great. It's Thanksgiving. Good. We're thankful. Out of the way. Jesus is coming. We're going to celebrate the birth of Christ. I'm on the highway. I'm I'm celebrating uh, the the goodness and the glorious nature. Uh, of the incarnation, and I don't know about you, but uh, it doesn't take our family very long, I don't know, uh, I mean, raise of hands quick, how many of you already have your Christmas tree up? Oh, see, I am in good company. I mean, we start playing Christmas music to get our hearts inundated uh, to the advent and the coming of Jesus Christ, and so often the psalmist reflects on these very truths that he caused to be inscripturated. God allowed this inscripturated process through the songs, not so that we could just simply say we know something. And, and certainly we, we want to be able to say we do know certain truths. But it's also the ability to reflect and meditate and appreciate and, and willingly go about living those truths out. And that's certainly what the psalmist is intending for the, the people of Israel to do. But as we, even before we jump into reading this psalm together, uh, I, I just think it's worthy for us to recognize that all through various historical time periods, the world that we live in, if you haven't noticed, is a mess. It's living in the midst of a level of madness and depravity that is continuing to spiral out of control. I mean, who would have thought, honestly, that we would be where we are today in dealing with the various social climate and various issues in our time? I mean, just think even out even just to last week. If you pay attention to various things that are going on and, and you see there's various Supreme Court situations uh, of Dobbs versus Jackson, I mean, who would have thought we're, si we're sitting here and trying to argue and articulate the value of human life? But here we are. The very struggle with components of, uh, of gender identity and confusion and marriage and redefinition of marriage. Where honestly, we live in a culture where marriages t tend to be somewhat of a disposable contract. That you can take it or leave it, you sign it because you have to, but if you want to dispose of it, go ahead. But not to mention just all of these particular situations, but the brokenness of the home and the families that are, are, are generated in an atmosphere where time after time after time I get connected with, with many young people who are struggling as a result of the brokenness of the culture and the brokenness of the family. 
adding on top of all of this a last year full of, of what has become to known an unprecedented pandemic. How many times have you heard the word unprecedented? Every time I hear it, I kind of laugh. Because everything's unprecedented. But the reality is that we live now in a world that has challenged the lives of millions of people around the world. Millions of people around the world live in a level of isolation and fear and depression and loneliness. The cultural climate has not just impacted the secular world at large, but it has impacted the lives of many evangelical churches in a way where it left them some feeling unprepared, divided, and sometimes, as a result of it, sometimes even downright unhappy with this idea of, that we call, or the Bible describes as the church community, full of division and perhaps even divisiveness. But I would just ask you to think, have really... As bad as it is in our culture, this is always the way a depraved culture had to interact with reality of a world that is lost and dying and going to hell. You know, David didn't find himself, by the way, in, in much of a, a, a dissimilar idea or context of living the life of his belief in God. I mean, the moment David was introduced onto the scene, he comes into a, a, a political and war zone environment as he comes to his brothers, and they say, we got this Goliath guy, and they're going to destroy us, and they're going to take everything God said he promised to us. But David says, all right, I, I, I guess I can live in faith out of this. And God, by his grace and sovereignty, allows David to defeat Goliath. But then it's not done there. You think, well, he, he fought against this depraved culture and this political madness of his time, and he won. No, it didn't stop there because the internal uh, deterioration, even of the kingdom that God had allowed, he steps into an environment, by the way, that the people of Israel said, God, we want a king. And he goes into the court of King Saul and finds himself playing harp, and on different occasions, playing harp, dodging harpoons, <laughs> dodging javelins. Like, this is great, I hope it's softening his heart, I'd like not to die today. I mean, you think that isn't causing division in the kingdom. All of a sudden, Jonathan becomes best friends with David, and, and Samuel then comes, anoints David. And there's this internal frustration in the midst of the kingdom that God was allowing for his people. David's running from Saul. Saul wants to kill him. It is these constant cultural climates of whatever day you happen to be living in that is not so far removed for the psalmist to say what he's about to say. This is not so much in, in unfamiliar territory to you and I that we can't go to the psalm and say, I know and I, I can experience what what the psalmist was after so that we can find rest and refuge in God. And as the title this morning, as we think about it, God is our refuge and strength. And I, I don't know about you, but that refuge and strength, that desire, but also that need has not dissipated from my own personal purview where I don't wake up each and every day thinking, oh, well, I don't need him today. <laughs> I need him every day. In fact, the, 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 the greater amount of depravity continuing to spiral out of control only forces me to recognize just how much I needed him and in reminding me how often uh, I, am, I am on an ill pursuit of not, not, not reflecting on this as much as I ought to. And so 
by God's grace and by the work of the, the Spirit of God, he has allowed inscripturated psalms such as these for the people of Israel, but to extend to a time like ours to help us recognize and reflect on these situations as well. Here's what he says. Follow along with me, if you would, Psalm 46. The psalmist says this, God is our refuge and strength and a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage and the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice and the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord. How he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth and he breaks the bow and he shatters the spear and he burns the chariot with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Here you have a psalm, you and I have a psalm before us that is designed to get us to reflect and allow and welcome us at the feet of the Almighty to simply say, God, when I am troubled, God, when I am filled with heartache, God, when the political, social, economic, and moral agenda is, is spiraling out of control, there is a place of refuge that I can run to and I always know where it's at. You're not hiding it from me. You're not concealing it from me. And I can go in there. And my soul can be at peace. I don't know about you, but I, I definitely prefer peace over a heart filled with tranquility, uh, a heart filled with confusion and all of these other things of our time, but I want peace and tranquility. And that's what the psalmist is desirous. In fact, it's very interesting as you go back in the life of the Reformation and you think about Martin Luther as he was was challenged with these very things. And, it, and, and Martin Luther said this. It's, it's quite fascinating. He's, it is said of Luther that there were times during the dark and dangerous periods of the Reformation when he was terribly discouraged and depressed. But at such times, he would turn to his friend and his co-worker, Philip Melanchthon, and say, Come, Philip, let us sing the 46th Psalm. In the time periods of the darkest moments of the Reformation, where death was constantly facing Martin Luther. He faced them fearlessly, knowing that his God would be his protection. In fact, it was the very inspiration of the hymn that we, perhaps you have sang at one particular point in time or another, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I remember growing up listening to that psalm, recognizing Martin Luther's impact in, his, in the life and history of the Reformation, realizing that so many stalwart Christians of the past lived and stood by and anchored themselves to the very things of the truth. That's what this psalmist is designed, this, the psalm is designed to do for you and I. 
It also is supposed to beg various questions that I think that we're supposed to ask. Things like, when do I find the greatest amount of security? Perhaps you could ask yourself, I'm most secure when, and you fill in that blank. Or you know what, I really feel strong spiritually when, or you know what, I'm really most afraid when I see these things happening. The psalmist is, de is desirous to get our minds focused on when in the midst of a constant cultural disarray and depravity that he guides us into thinking where our security, strength, and health come from. Where is it for you? Many people think it's come, uh, they'll find their security in levels of money, bank accounts, stocks, and all kinds of tangible assets. They go into their, their security, their portfolio, and they take a look and see what's going on, and, and, and they look at all these numbers, and they maybe walk away after looking at that and go, whew, I'm okay. They're much like the rich man and Lazarus, who all of a sudden built bigger barns to house all of his his uh, material wealth to signify, oh, my security is found in me. Other people don't find it in money because they find themselves having none. Anybody there? <laughs> Most of us are more like that. We don't have a huge portfolio, but we're saying, it's going to come from somewhere. So we, we try to find our security in various levels of specialized training and skills and personal talents that we discipline our mind and discipline various components to say, you know what, if I have this skill or if I can offer this, then I'll have a level of security. And others still yet won't find it in money or specialized training, but they find it, this very security in their family their friends, their business contacts, and all the human support system that they could ever endeavor without ever looking to the God Almighty. No family, no personal friend, no best friend can ever provide for you what the God who wants to provide refuge and strength can give to you. People will always tend to fail us, but you can always go to the Lord, the psalmist is declaring and saying, you can always find refuge and strength in this person. As we look at this text this morning, I think one of the main ideas that he is bringing out in reference to this psalm is simply to express this, that believers who run to the right refuge will experience the protection of the God of heaven. You will get to experience it firsthand. But here's the reality. The degree to which you find refuge in God is the degree to which you will either be fearful or fear less. See, if all of a sudden you think that you can live in the world and you can just be inundated by the world and all of a sudden you, you, that will not impact you, I have experienced so many different situations in pastoral care for people where they have come in on a variety of different levels and say, I am so afraid. I am living with a deep sense of panic and fear and anxiety that I can barely leave my house. This psalmist is for somebody who struggles with that. This, this psalm was, was written and designed so that people who, who would experience all kind of difficulty would say, you know what, I can find strength in the Lord, but Christian, brothers and sisters, the degree to which we run to this refuge will be the degree to which we find ourselves a very fearful or fearless Christian, living in a world that's filled with all kinds of sin and chaos and depravity. 
But one thing that will always remain the same, it, the same is the God who has presented himself in history and time that will never leave us and never forsake us because he is the God of refuge and strength. This particular psalm is quite fascinating because what I want to give you this morning in, this, uh, in, in, in understanding and thinking about this psalm together is, is really just lay out for you how the psalm unfolds itself to give you a sense of refuge, strength, and help in times of trouble. And he, what he does for us is he, he really gives us two situations. And then it's followed up with two imperatives or two commands that he gives in the text so that we can think about what do we do with this information that you just gave to us. So he's going to give us two situations that I think we can resonate with and then two imperatives that we can work through in our own lives. The first one is found in the first stanza. You notice in the psalm, this particular psalm, many psalms do this, but this psalm specifically is broken into three stanzas. How do you know that in your, in your English translation? It's, it ends with the word selah. It's intended to be a stanza in the musical notes or the musical reference so that they could, they could think about this in a musical fashion. So we're going to take these and in, in look at these three different stanzas. And in the first stanza, here's the first situation that we find. He says, God is our refuge and strength. Now just take notice of that. He, he's not saying, he doesn't say this. He's saying, well, he might be, he could be. No, he, he is whether you and I recognize it or not. He is the stabilizing force of all things that go and represent in the world, regardless of whether you identify with that or I embrace it. He stays the same. The trouble is, is that we often change. We struggle because something comes along in our path, and all of a sudden, I place my refuge in something else. In fact, in our Christianity, by the way, I think one of the bigger struggles that we tend to face is we often run to the wrong refuge. We run to other things even before we, uh, even before we run to God. Honestly, in the most simplistic things I find myself doing this in, it's kind of comical in some way because, uh, you know, have you ever lost your keys? You know, like now they're putting together those things where you can put like a Bluetooth tracker so that you can actually hit on your phone. But every time I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, my first response, I'll say to my wife, she kind of finds it comical at this point, it's like, what did those kids do with those keys again? They're playing the games. And I'm, I'm frustrated, like, I have to go, and somebody is playing games with my keys. And it's not me. I didn't hide them on myself. And then she'll say this to me. Did you pray about it? Like, who on earth thinks of that? I mean, really? But honestly, we go in the most simplistic things, we run to a refuge of some other kind that brings some other kind of struggle, and then it's heaped on more struggle when we get there and we realize this isn't the place I should be, and then we have to run back to the refuge where we should have been all along. And that's what the psalmist is trying to express to the people of Israel in a convoluted time of a kingdom that was in disarray. It's so difficult in some psalms, such as this one, to figure out what is the backdrop or the context that generated this psalm. There's a couple of different accounts in, in the people of Israel's life. One found in 2 Chronicles where there was a struggle in the life of Israel where they were anchoring themselves to their God. And another one found when... Uh, People looked, and, and it was during the time of Hezekiah, and the Assyrian army was at the brink of destroying the, the, the people of Israel. And they were mocking them from across the moat, and they were yelling at them. 
Some people think it's one of these two situations, but I want you to notice something. The psalmist deliberately makes this ambiguous and doesn't connect it with any particular historical event so that by, by through over time, whatever struggle the people of Israel would find themselves in, they could use this psalm to reflect in whatever trouble, whatever struggle, whatever circumstance they would find themselves in. That's why he deliberately des- describes this ambiguously to a situation. Which means for us, we have to ask ourselves, what are the struggles that we face on an everyday basis in our lives, in our day, in our time, where we run to the wrong refuge? Instead of running to God, we run to something or someone else that could never provide the level of comfort. Notice these these words that the psalmist uses. God is this. First of all, he's our refuge. Oh, the psalmist knew so much about what was going on when it came to refuge. And in the Old Testament times, most refuges, refuges and were understood as caves. As you think about it, you, you end up reflecting on this, this life of David. David's running from Saul, and where does he go? And he finds refuge. He finds refuge in a cave. In fact, it's very interesting, by the way, just I think God did this on purpose. I think it seems to be raining outside. Uh, so that you can all just get it off your mind and realize it's happening. But isn't this interesting, sovereignly, when did the Old Testament person run to the cave? When the weather was so bad, they had to get out from underneath all this, and they ran to the cave because the elements outside were so turbulent that they would find refuge inside this cave. And that's the picture that the Old Testament psalmist wants to give to us. When you find your soul being rained upon, literally, run to him. Don't run away. Don't run to a different refuge. Run to him. Run to the place where you will find a God who is the refuge and you will find strength. It's not a maybe. It's not a hope so. It's a sure thing. It's a refuge. It's a place of security for those people who are, who are helpless in the midst of a world that has gone mad. In circumstances and situations that they could never control in the midst of a, a world that is changing at such a rapid rate. I'm not, I'm not surprised, by the way, and I don't think you are either. The fact that the world is filled with depravity and we begin to wrestle with all of these kinds of cultural issues. I think what continues to astound me is the speed by which depravity seems to be moving in these days. But no matter where it turns and where it goes, we will always be able to find refuge and strength That's why the psalmist in Psalm 62 says something like this, For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. He says, I'm a God of refuge, but I'm a God of strength. This issue and idea that the psalmist expresses that you can be physically and mentally strong. And if you haven't noticed, there is this immaterial and material side of you. That when what's going on inside of you tends to impact what's going on in your physiology even as well. There's so many times where when we think about a God who is a refuge and strength, an ever-present help in the time of trouble, and the psalmist says this, therefore we will not fear. Oh, I love that statement. Because I watch people come in who are struggling with years of, of panic and anxiety and frustration of things that were outside of their control. And they find strength 
in their inner person, in their spiritual life. And usually, it's interesting how none of the outside circumstances change, but when their heart changes, the way they're able to be stable in the midst of the storm is astounding. It is that stability, by the way, Christian, that gets the world to go, something is different about these people who call themselves Christians. They can weather the storm in a way that is remarkable. How can you do that? You know, if you don't live that life of faith actively in front of people, here's what happens. They, they aren't forced to ask you the question, how do you do that? And the moment they ask you, the gospel door just opened for you. For you to say, I can't do this on my own. But the God in who I find refuge and strength and stability, he is the one who helps me. He is the one who continues to help my troubled soul. And I love how the psalmist says these things. He's my refuge, my strength. My, he could just say, my present help in trouble, but that's not sufficient enough. He is a very present help. You know what this means for us? This means that we have a God who is in control of all of the universe that you and I have, have ever seen, the galaxies of all that's been created, and he is not some God who, in some aloof fashion, created and designed the world, wound up the clock and let it go, and is now somehow distant from the rest of the world. The psalmist is saying he is so actively involved and near to his people. That has not changed. In 2021 and soon to be 2022, that God is still the stabilizing force that will continue the trajectory of the world until it accomplishes his end. And that's important, his end, not mine. Not my goals, not my agenda, not waiting for me. So many young people will say, I just hope he doesn't come back until I get married. I'll tell you, you'll forego marriage if you can be with Christ. And I love you, sweetheart, but if he put me on a fast track and said, you get this or this, I'd have taken Jesus. And if that was the case, she would have taken him over me as well. The psalmist is so designed in, in orchestrating an event where we can say, he is my very present help. He is so near to me. In our struggles, in our discouragement, in our loneliness, Many believers have forgotten to focus and reflect on how near God wants to be to his children. He has not adopted you, adopted you, and then desired to abandon you. He has adopted you to have a relationship with him for the rest of your life. One which will be culminated at a point in time where, where the psalmist will continue to forge forward and say that there is a time coming where you will be able to be and see the refuge and strength, this very present help in trouble, and this will happen. Therefore, you will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. Do you get the, the flavor of this reality of, the pen, of, of what's going on in, in the life of the person? He's poetically saying something like this. My spiritual inner self is so at turmoil. I don't know where do I go. What do I do? How do I think? I can't tell you how many times it's happened where people have come into me in a, in a pastoral care setting and said to me, 
I don't know where else to turn. I've tried this, I've tried this, I've tried the world's component, I've tried what they're doing. If the, if the, if I figured, you know what, why not just try a faith-based level of care? I mean, if, if, that can't, if this can't help me, this is how the, the session starts, by the way, if this doesn't help me, if you can't help me, they'll say, I'm done. No pressure. But the reality is, how many of us at times find ourselves in circumstances where we have discouragement and loneliness and we desire for someone to have a care for us? Guess what? Whether there's, whether there's human care there or not, the God of heaven is there for you and he cares for you. I love one particular book over the course of the think about it in this regard, that he is our refuge in times of natural disasters, like we faced some of those in the past year or so. Erwin Lutzer writes a book that I, that I read throughout the course of this time that was very helpful called Plagues, Pandemics, and Natural Disasters. What is God trying to teach us? I'll tell you, I'd really encourage you to think about this book. Listen to what he says. He says, plagues, he says pandemics, plagues, and natural disasters for us uh, natural disasters force us to make a decision. Do we trust God or do we walk away disgusted, if not angry with God? Natural disasters have a way of dividing humanity, getting to the bottom of our values and our character. They have a way of revealing our secret loves, personal convictions, and whether we will continue to believe in the goodness of God. And he continues and he says this, he says, disasters clarify our values. They challenge our faith. They reveal who we really are. And if we're rooted in the promises of Jesus, we can endure. If not, we will be swept away by our own human philosophies and narrow interpretations. I'll tell you, I think he nails it when you think about the, the natural disasters and, and, and difficulties that we find ourselves. Things that are outside our control as human beings. It is, it is within these moments of time that we rest in a God who is our refuge and strength because sovereignly we have no control over it. I mean, no one got a text message that said, is it okay for me to send COVID-19 from God? He, he allows it and then he wants us to say, respond with truth and grace and strength. I truly believe this is a time period of testing even for the church. Whether they will be divided over various issues that are going on in the culture that they had no control over or whether they will be one the way Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer of John 17. Oh God, that you would protect them from the world even though that they would be in the world and make them one. One of the ingredients for keeping that oneness within the communal life and the body of believers of the church is to be able that we all together collectively find our refuge and strength in God. That he is our ever-present help in times of trouble. There should be nobody that, could be go that could, someone could go to in this body and they would guide them to a different place of refuge. Like, here's what I typically find. People come and they're struggling and they need to find a place of refuge and they're like, do you know where it is? And then you bring them to where the refuge is at in God and they don't realize how many people are in that cave. They think they were the only one. 
And the psalmist is simply trying to help us recognize that this kind of deliberate care that comes from the God Almighty, whether the mountains be moved and all the natural disasters are to take place, the body of believers who trust in their God can remain a stabilizing force in the midst of a culture that is, that is, is filled with madness and sin. And when you and I continue to think about these, it's not just in times of natural disaster, but he also says that he's a refuge in times of national and international instability. I mean, think about for most of Israel's life, they, I mean, even how the whole kingdom thing started. I mean, Samuel wasn't really excited about this when the people came to him and said, Samuel, we want a king. And Samuel says, we have one. What is your problem? And they said, oh, God says, all right, I'm going to give you a king. But you're not going to be happy with this. And then when it, and it proved to be that he wasn't the person he was supposed to be, and God anoints a man after his own heart. This is the most remarkable thing in 1 Samuel 16, when, when Samuel goes to the house of Jesse, and he brings all the sons before him. And, he, and, and it's, it's fascinating, because one of the sons come before him, and, he, and, he, and he's thinking inside. We get like an insider's view of Samuel's mind. Ooh, he's strong. Like, he looks strapping. He's tall. What were they used to? I mean, Saul stood head and shoulders above the rest of everyone. He looked like a king. And then out pops in this shepherd boy. Like, what? Are you kidding me? And God says some of the most remarkable things at that particular moment. He says, Samuel, don't look on his outer appearance, for I've rejected him. I look at the inner man the inner person of the heart. And his heart, and compared to Saul's heart, there's something different. That should be the heart of the believer. Their hearts are different. They're solidified. It's not what they, what they appear on the outside. It's what inside that matters. Our culture spends so much time on the outside or all the outer reflections we want everybody else uh, to view and see. In the midst of this, we lose focus on the refuge and the strength that God wants to be. In the midst of this national turmoil of Israel, they had to find refuge, not in Saul, not in David, but in the promises that were given to David. Now keep making sure your mind is calibrated to the Old Testament Israel reality of the Davidic covenant. Because there was one who was told that would come from and be a son of David who would come and be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. This was so important that all of Israel's nationalistic history was a time period where they would look forward and say, he's, he's, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. That's what we celebrate at Christmas time. In the midst of natural, a na- a national turmoil, think of what the people of Israel were, li- what were going on during the time when Jesus was born. The oppression of the Roman people, ruling with an iron fist. I mean, you did not mess with Rome if you read the history and in the midst of that they so longed for a king but as we even approach various points in the story of Jesus' earthly ministry on, on Palm Sunday it's not so uncommon for our minds to recognize they were just jumping for joy to lay down the palm branches to say our king has arrived They had waited so long for this. The one who would be their refuge and strength in the midst of national and international 
instability. You and I have to trust in God no matter what you happen to see on whatever, whatever news venue you happen to watch. If you watch it long enough, I'll tell you what you'll find. You'll leave so fearful, so discouraged. And, you, and if, you're, if you're spending more time on, on some news outlet than you are in the Word of God, I'm telling you, you're going to actually be filled with fear and anxiety. But you've got to spend more time in the Word of God to anchor your soul and stay, He is the stabilizing force. Then he shifts in this psalm. He says, but there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, and he utters his voice, and the earth melts. For the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. He, he now transitions from this turmoil and turbulence that's going on if the, even the, the, the mountains would fall into the sea. And now he transports the, the, the one who would reflect on this psalm to say, oh, but there come, is coming a day when you will find such peace and tranquility. And oftentimes in Old Testament poetic literature, you will find the streams used as a picture of peace and joy and tranquility. But notice this. There, and he's transporting the, the nationalistic Israel and every believer in Israel and any God-fearer that would have been added to this to say there is a time, who, there is a person whose streams make glad the city of God. Oh, there was such an Old Testament perspective of Zion, the city of our God, the place where the holy temple would reside, the place where God would come and meet with his people. And we get to the New Testament and he said God was, John says God was with you in the temple, but now he's in you. And he'll always reside there. It is that residing of the Holy Spirit and sealing of the work of the Spirit that allows our heart to be at peace. As he transports them through time to say, there is these streams who make glad the city of God, this holy habitation. And guess who it is? And what is the stabilizing factor? It is God. He, he is in the midst of her. They often referred to Zion or the city of Jerusalem, even in a feminine pronoun. Like even people do this today, like when they get this really nice car, they're like, look at her. Like, look at her. Like we personalize the way we do it. The people of Israel in the language express that kind of thing. Oh, the city of our God when she is high and she is lifted up and our God resides there, she will be so filled with beauty in a way that all who look upon her and find refuge in her will be stabilized because he is there. He loves her. She shall not be moved. Notice this poetic phrase, and, he, and God will help her when the morning dawns. Oh, what a poetic way of saying Oh, when I wake up and I think I'm just going to experience that day over and over and over again and it's going to be terrible. He says, when the morning dawns, every morning that dawns, he is in control. He is still your refuge and strength. No matter how many cycles will happen in the morning dawns, he is there for you. Even though the nations rage and no matter what you see, this Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Notice the historical connections to these people that God has done everything he could do in the past to stabilize and fulfill all of his promises in the present so that they could look forward to the future with hope and peace in their mind.
God has continued to do that through history and into our time today. Now, he doesn't stop there. He says, now, here's where I'm going to give you all this stuff. You see all this turmoil. Now, here's what, here's what we have to do. How do we get it? Doesn't it just beg the question like, I want that. Like, that's where it leaves me when I study this text. Like, I just want that peace. I want that refuge. I want that strength. I want that nearness. Well, here's, here's the first command, the first of the imperatives. Come, behold the works of the Lord. Know what that means? You and I have got to come to him. We've got to, start, we've got to stop finding refuge in security and other places and other things and other people and other skills and other dynamics and come and behold the works of our God. How do you find out the works of your God? It's in here. From beginning to end, it displays the very glories of God. How his grace and kindness with the people of Israel. I mean, so often we look there. and I mean, don't you read the, the story of the wilderness wanderings and think to themselves, what is wrong with those people? Like calling for manna, calling for bread. I mean, I, I think I'm probably, probably more in line with those people than I was with one who was saying, Let's take the land. (laughs) Because our inner instability that happens even for believers, as they walk through that, their life, they sometimes find their refuge in other things. And he's saying to you and I, if you have not found your refuge in God and your strength in God and your peace and tranquility in God, come, behold the works of the Lord. All you have to do is go back and think to yourself for a moment. What has he done for you? I mean, think about what he has done so that you could come to faith in Jesus Christ, repent of your sins. The people that have spoken to you, the people that have been impacted over history and time so that all of a sudden in one conversation, at one moment in time, you found your refuge in God alone. If we stop, being enamored with the works of God, we have a lesser appreciation for the God who works and controls the universe. And the psalmist never wanted us to forget it, and which means perhaps there's some here this morning that, you know what, you've never come. You have never been drawn to the very glories of God, and you're thinking to yourself, what is this Christianity about? It is about Jesus Christ the coming one, the Messiah, the Emmanuel that we sing about. Oh, if you are here this morning and you have never come and you have never read the scriptures and behold, and you beheld the works of the Lord, there are so many people, I believe, in this congregation who would love to get in contact with you, who would love to just start reading the Bible with you so that you begin to understand the works of the Lord and how much he loves you, how much he cares for you and the works that he has done so that you could find salvation in him and find your refuge and strength. And the stability I'm telling you that it would bring to you right now in the midst of your turmoil would be astounding to you that you can't see on this side of it, which is a step of faith. And if that's you this morning, can I just encourage you, find somebody in this church, find a believer that you know is here and ask them to help you. That you're not able to see what you're supposed to see and you want to you want to investigate this you want to come you want to behold the very works of the lord how he has brought desolations to the earth and we look over time and past this is why i love history because there's nothing new 
I mean, it's such a comforting factor, isn't it? There's nothing that's going to happen in our, in our future that God has not seen before. I, like, I sometimes think that we get this picture in our minds as Christians, like, I bet he's never seen that one. No, he's seen it all. He's seen every debauchery and sinful practice and every cultural dynamic that you could see. And guess what? He is working and moving it towards a significant end where he will be glorified. And that's all just to come. He said, but in the meantime, just come and behold the works of the Lord. That's part of what the church dynamic, that's part about what discipleship care is about. One of the reasons I love shepherding care ministry so much is because I get the job to come and let people behold the living God. And they walk away changed because of him. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with the very words and stability of God and the sufficiency of the way he cares for us. This is so important for us in the midst of the turmoil culturally, nationally, and internationally that we find ourselves in. Both natural disasters and national instability should cause us to come and behold the very works of the Lord. And sometimes maybe we're not doing that as, as, as well as we could. This God who makes wars cease, he breaks the bow and he shatters the spears. And he always ends in every stanza, if you've noticed this in this psalm, somewhat repetitive on purpose. Now he doesn't put it at the end, at the end in the first stanza, but at the end of the two stanzas, uh, he says, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now what do you think about when you think about a fortress? Well, I'll give you a picture here of one of Herod the Great's palace fortresses of Masada. And when you think about a fortress in the Old Testament, this is what you would see. A raised platform of a plateau so that no one could scale the heights of the sides so that when you came to the top, you could find peace and tranquility. That's what this represents to the people of Israel even until today. You will see Israel's soldiers making a trek to the top of Masada because it was the last stand of the people of Masada where they would not, where they would find refuge in God and they would say, you know what, we're not going to allow ourselves to be taken captive by the Romans in the destruction of the, of the Jewish revolt and the destruction of A.D. 70. God is saying this and gives us a picture like this. He's saying, come up to the plateau of peace where you will find rest and refuge in God where all the wars and things that are going on below, you will look down upon, but you will have a greater and a grander perspective, a, if we could say it this way, a better worldview. But you've got to come up here in order to get it. You can't stay down here and go, what do we do? You've got to come up here and say, that's what he's doing. Once you get that viewpoint, you anchor your soul to it, because it is this place where God is your refuge and your strength. No matter what struggle you're facing, no matter how much disheartening that you have experienced over time, behold the works of the Lord. But he doesn't just stop there. He goes here. He says, be still and know that I am God. Probably most of the psalmists, or, or at least this psalm is most notable for this statement. Be still and know that I am God. Now, do correct your mind into thinking this. Be still is not a reference point for Christian yoga. This is not somehow 
making sure you're in that quiet room in a certain position to say, God, I'm being still. No, this is not that. Be still is not inactivity. It may look like in, inactivity of your physical body, but it is not inactivity of the mind. Being still means that while you're being still, you have to come behold the works of the Lord. In the quiet times of your own life and in your own families and in your family time of worship and with friends and with people that you know who love the Lord Jesus Christ, you come together and you be still and you know. I love this statement because here's what he's saying. Uh, He gives a particular nuance of a verb to say this. You have to cause yourself to be still as you come and behold the works of the Lord. That's what he's saying. You cause yourself to be still. How do you do it? You go to him, and then he does it for you. You come and you be still, and if we could say it another way, I'll give it a a different kind of interpretation. Don't panic. The word, the the original language word is is to let your hand down. In the Old Testament reality was you're this busy person and you always got your hands going. And the Old Testament, he's using this word as the psalmist to say, just, just put them down. You can't rely on yourself, your activity, your works, your goodness, your going to church, how much you know. Rely on him. Go to his truce. Behold him. Love him. Be still. And then here's what will happen. And he says, and know that I am God. What he's expressing to us is he's saying something like, uh, as, as you are not panicking, you need to come to the Lord and acknowledge him and recognize his control and admit to him your weaknesses and the struggle that you have to see the world in the way God wants you to see it. And you've at times re- refused to, to run to him as a refuge. And you confess And you acknowledge that he is the creator. He is the one who gets to determine what purpose and meaning and value that you have. Not you. And when you humble yourself in that way, you begin to know God and know his purposes. And you anchor your soul to him. And as the psalmist, he says, now he transports again, he says, And speaking of this future dimension, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. How will he do it? Well, in the Jewish Old Testament perspective, he was going to do it from the descendant that would come from David. They looked forward to the coming of Jesus Christ, and we now find ourselves in that December time period that we all love so much. And then he ends with this. The Lord of hosts is with us us. Now we most understand this by Isaiah 7.14. When Isaiah prophesies in the midst of a, a destroyed and dismantled kingdom and he says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign and behold the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and he and, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And you know what it means, don't you? He is with us. And the psalmist over and over again, just like the prophet Isaiah, would say and repeat to the people of Israel, he is with us. 
Your, your heart doesn't have to be in turmoil and instability and find refuge in some other place. Find refuge in God. He is your fortress. And this, this when he says, the Lord of hosts, oh, he now pulls out the very covenant name of the living God, Yahweh, in the Old Testament. And why would he use it? Because this was the name of the God who was their personal covenant protector. It was so different than all the nations that surrounded them, but he was with them, and he spoke to them. He says, this is the God that you can find refuge and strength. This is the God that you can run to. And I would say to you this morning as we think and, and end our time together, what do you fear? Are you running to the right refuge? Are you going to the right place for a turmoiled soul? Perhaps you've spent long periods of time discouraged or depressed. Maybe you're here and, and you just lost a child. Or you just lost a loved one. Or you're in the midst of marital difficulty or a wayward child. It's in all of these moments that God desires for us to find refuge in him. He wants us to understand it in the natural disasters, in the national instability, but he wants us to find rest for our soul personally. And he says, here's where you can find it in me. And I would encourage you, you know what, if you're here struggling, don't struggle alone. Those are dark places to be without the body of Christ. And the body of Christ, are you looking for people who are suffering and hurting and are, are having a hard time finding their refuge in God? Are you targeting them and say, I've got to help them? Oh, that's the body of Christ that, that most people want to be involved with because it's a place where they, where they call, this is my refuge, my family, a place of strength and stability. God has allowed that in our time when he designed the church. We can have that. He is our continued Emmanuel, and I would just encourage you to remind yourself, when Jesus came and fulfilled all the prophecies that we celebrate, we knew what was, was coming because we know what Philippians says, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God the Father. That is coming where we will bow before the, our, our knee before the King of Kings and the whole world will and all, tr all strife and instability will disappear when Jesus Christ sits on the throne as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That is the history that he's moving the world towards, a world where they recognize Jesus is King no matter if you like it or not. Every knee will bow. Whether you want to bow or not, it will bow. Because Jesus Christ is Lord. He has all the rights and privileges to do that. And if he is who he says he is, well, let's run to him as our refuge and strength, our ever-present help. And do what the psalmist says, and I'll end with this psalm that is so familiar, but one I've uh, just continued to love. In Psalm 121, when he says, when the psalmist says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Oh, where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Oh, he will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you, he, he's not slumbering off. He's not nodding off. He's there for you. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He is your keeper, your shade at your right hand. 
and the sun will not strike you by day or the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil and keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming from this time forth to forevermore. And he'll do that for this generation. And if by God's grace he allows it to continue for the next generation, his purposes will stand. Which means you can always find refuge in this strength and stable God in the midst of a turbulent world that we live in. Are you doing that? Are you finding people who need help with that? Are you engaging in people's lives so that you can help them find and come and behold the living God? I hope you are, because that is the duty of the Christian, to disciple other people, to come and enjoy this living God who stabilizes the entire world. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for being who you say you are, for doing what you said you would do. Lord, we look at psalms like this that, ref that help us reflect on you being our refuge and strength, our ever-present help in the time of trouble, Lord, and we need this so bad. We so desire for you and for your presence. Lord, we thank you so much, even as we come to this Christmas season, now in December, that we sing songs like, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Lord, just a reflection of John's uh, declaration, oh, come, Lord Jesus, come. We wait for you, Lord. But Lord, in the meantime, help us to continue to go to you for our refuge and strength because it's where we will find stability. It's in you. Lord, help us to help each other do that. In your name we pray, amen.